Hello legends, welcome to today's show. Catching up with Cub, as always, is brought to you by Cub, the Club of United Business, Australia's number one members club connecting our country's top entrepreneurs and business leaders. And today, I'm catching up with Cub member Mitchell Ross, the CEO of Muru Office Supplies. Um, Muru Office Supplies is a national office supply company that has everything you could possibly need between the four walls of your office. They work with companies such as Qantas, KPMG, Commonwealth Bank. They're an incredible company. And what makes them even more special is the incredible vision and purpose that they have for their company, which is to help the next generation of Indigenous Australians. As an Indigenous Australian himself, Mitchell is passionate about uh, that cause and that purpose and about being authentic and he's using his business as a vehicle for good. He's an incredible, incredible person. We had a brilliant conversation. So enjoy the show. And we are live. Welcome to the show, Mitchell Ross. Um, Just before we get into anything, I just want to make it very bloody clear that if you are a member of Cub and you are buying your office supplies anywhere other than Muru office supplies, you are buying them from the wrong place. You need to be buying them from Muru, our member, who is Mitchell, who owns a brilliant company. Welcome to the show, Mitchell. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad to be on here. Yeah, it's pretty mad, eh? How cool is the setup? I know. <laughs> um, so we spoke not too long ago. We spoke for the, for the first time we spoke about a month ago. Um, on your uh, year review yep. call that I did with you to, to hear about uh, all the things you love about Kevin, perhaps some things you didn't. But but um, um, on that call, I was like, shit, this is a wicked story and an amazing company and an amazing dude. And I, th- that's when I invited you on the podcast, that, on the show, because I was really blown away. And I, I'd love for you to just give give um, the listeners a bit of a background as uh, uh, why don't you introduce to Muru first and then we'll talk about your story and how you actually got there so tell us about the company yeah sure um so uh Muru office supplies as you said or Moz for short um is a national workplace supplies provider so um based in Sydney we provide um you know workplace supplies nationally across the country and that includes everything from copy paper um office products stationery janitorial and cleaning products so anything i guess anything that a business needs in their four walls um, we provide kind of like an office works style pretty much like an office works but we're exclusively b2b um you know no retail presence or or, um, you know consumer incredible and how long has the business been going for now uh well i started miru group which is um i guess one of the parent companies of of moz uh, in 2012 um and miru means pathway in the language of the coastal sydney region region um because i'm a a, a a digital man an aboriginal man from la perouse yeah um so yeah i I guess miru um for me is all about uh, the journey and the pathway that i've been on in life and also uh it ties into our vision which is to create a pathway for the next generation of aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people so that's the reason behind the name miru Wait, wait. So the name Muru actually means what? The pathway. pathway. Yeah. In 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 an indigenous language. Yeah, in the, in the language of the coastal Sydney region. So. Oh, really? There's a couple of language groups around Sydney that it means the same um, uh, same thing. And where's your 
uh, heritage from that region? Yeah, so I'm from La Perouse, so yeah. I'm Bichigul man. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, there's a couple of language groups, Darawal and Darug, um, which uh, Muru means pathway. So they're uh, Sydney language groups. And so your and, and so the vision of Muru, the vision of the companies, is to create a new pathway for the next generation of Indigenous uh, uh, people. Yeah, that's right. Whether that's through employment, um, whether that's through uh, giving back, uh, you know, we give a percentage of our profits back to community. So whether it's through that or whether it's just being, a, I guess, a, a role model or a blueprint for other aspiring entrepreneurs to, to kind of you know, follow, I guess. Isn't that super cool though? I love that because your vision is is – not necessarily to do with the company, the company's goals. The vision is actually kind of independent. It, it, it's it's something external to the company. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's a greater cause. It's it's not just hey, our vision's to become it's like Cubs' shallow ass vision. It's it's that like your vision is more you know not to do with profits and being big. Your vision is more to do with helping a, a very important group of people. Yeah, and I, look, I think it's. I guess that was one of the driving factors for me to go into business. Uh, um, you know, one of the others was I, I didn't like working for other people, but um, I'm sure a lot of business owners would say the same thing. But part of it was how can I – I mean, I was fortunate with my upbringing. Um, I had, you know, a great home life. Both my parents had, um, you know, great jobs. Um, so my, my Aboriginality comes from my mum's side of the family, but both my mum and dad are still, you know, still happily married, worked in the same jobs for many, many years. So I guess I was fortunate to have a stable home environment and – I grew up witnessing um, a lot of hardships and a lot of close family and friends that didn't have that same uh, luxury. Um, so, you know, I guess that inspired me to say, well, how can I put myself in a situation where I can change that, where I can give back and hopefully, uh, you know, change, change the lifestyle for future generations. So it sort of drove me to create the business um, and I suppose, uh, you know, that's why it had to be part of our vision and part of our mission. I can definitely relate to that because there's almost a sense of guilt's probably not the word gratitude sorry you you sounded very grateful you know for the for what you i guess what you're blessed with in life your situation your family and, and having a, a good upbringing yeah and definitely while seeing others around you not having that mm-hmm. it kind of drove you know that gratitude sounds like it almost drove you to to want to do something special i can definitely relate to that yeah that's right i mean you know i had i had the education um and you know how can i use what i what i've learned and and you know my experience to um, change somebody else's life so and that's yeah that's what, what the vision and the purpose is all about in the business and, and um, now the business is is it, it, inc- it made it to an incredible point you've you've i mean you work with clients like uh let's see if i remember these Qantas, kpmg Forgetting one big one, uh, Combank, Commonwealth Bank. This is some big, big, big contracts, big clients to have, um, and for obviously quite a young entrepreneur. How old were you when you started, um, Muru? Uh, I was around uh, thirty, just done, yeah, twenty nine when I started Muru. So in two thousand twelve, um, but I. I did start my um, an IT business in 2010. Before that, so. oh yeah, when you do that, why don't you tell us a bit more about the background before me? <laughs> yeah, so I guess look, I worked in IT for many years. So when I when I left high school, um, and you know, I was always always passionate about technology, loved getting my hands on on IT, building computers, all that kind of stuff. Um, so I, I worked in IT for years, and that was different internet service providers, different you know small uh, SMEs, even a little stint at Microsoft for a little while, and it was mostly just doing you know networking, IT repairs, all that kind of stuff. Um, started uh, my own IT business in 2010, um, 
you know, for the reasons I mentioned before, um, just, you know, didn't really want to work for other people, wanted to, to be independent and do my own thing. So you were, twen- you were 28? Yeah, in, in 2010, point. yep. And, um, yeah, so that was my first stint into business and, uh, you know, it opened my eyes to, to what was really required, how much work was involved. And I think it was just bad timing because, you know, with the invent of, of iPads and laptops becoming, you know, commoditized and so cheap, um, there was just a decline in, in the work I was doing. You know, there was – people were throwing computers away and buying new ones. So there was very little repair work going on and I sort of was at a point in my business and that was only, you know, two years in that something had to change and I was looking for – other opportunities and I became familiar with this trend that was emerging in Australia called supply diversity uh, and that's where corporate and government buyers are looking to work with diverse suppliers whether that's uh, Aboriginal owned businesses, women owned businesses, um, disability owned businesses so different diverse businesses and that was sort of an emerging area um, at sort of 2011, 2012 um, was when I became exposed to it. And that's when I uh, sort of pivoted completely and shut down my IT business and started Muru in 2012. Um, well, and ha- I mean, how did you come across? I've never, co- I've never heard of that supply diversity. How did you come across that? It, it's sort of um, there's an organisation in Australia called Supply Nation, and the, they modelled the concept from from the United States. So the United States has a, an organisation called uh, NMSDC, which stands for National Minority Supply Development Council. And it represents uh, all minorities in business in America. So African-American businesses, Hispanic-American, Asian-American, Native American businesses. Um, and it's yeah, basically a matchmaking organisation that connects those businesses with corporate uh, and government buyers. And there's some businesses in the US um, that are multi-billion dollar businesses that are minority owned because of this. Um, Maybe I should get involved <laughs> in that. I'm half Mexican, half Lebanese. There can't be many people like me. <laughs> Well, it's, it's been going for 45 years over there. It's very successful. So, And that's where we the, the, the idea was modelled from, from that uh, organisation and they took the learnings and brought it back here uh, to Australia and created um, Supply Nation. Wow. So. And so you saw that and you thought, wow, that's, that's not only a great initiative but it also is in line, uh, aligned with um, my personal beliefs and something that I'm passionate about which is helping – in, indigenous Australians. That's right, yeah. Um, I, I thought, you know, if these corporate and government buyers are, are looking to support Aboriginal business, then they would believe in my vision and, and what I'm trying to achieve in, in my business. So, yeah, but wait, wait. But how did you jump from IT to <laughs> office supplies? Where'd that well, come it's, from? it's kind of not that far. It sounds like a far leap, but um, when I connect the dots for you, it's not. Um, so I guess when I became aware of this supply diversity trend, I, I went to a, an event uh, and was, you know, networking with procurement people from some of the largest companies Very in Australia. Very smart man, obviously. Networking <laughs> is key for <laughs> That's right. And, but I realised, you know, I was way out of my depth because I'm, I'm a small business, IT business, um, who was geared up to support consumers and SMEs and I'm talking to procurement managers from some big Australian companies. This was in sort of 2012. Uh, straight away I knew, okay, this business model that I've got is not really going to work. Uh, and around a similar time, I was being mentored by another successful um, Aboriginal businessman, Michael McLeod. He runs a, a company called Message Stick Communications. They do uh, audio and video conferencing with some large corporates. And he uh, recommended I move away from servicing and move into resale of product, lower risk. Uh, and particularly from an IT point of view, working with corporate, if you don't have that experience, it's they're probably not going to touch me. Um, just, just too much of a risk. So I, I, I guess... Being in technology, uh, ink cartridges were the closest thing I can think of to resale. Mm. So I got connected with a guy who owned a couple of Cartridge World franchises 
um, started Muru Group with him. He was a uh, minority shareholder and, and helped me start the business and get the supply chain up and running. And I started selling ink cartridges and, and getting into corporate that way. Uh, and funnily enough, they just started asking me for other things, paper, office products, and it just organically happened. Isn't that crazy? You got in with one like niche, like it was one thing that that's, that's what you were focusing on doing, which so few people start doing everyone you know wants to have everything already or, or start with a bunch of things you went in with just well, the ink mm. yeah and <laughs> then they're like hey that. do you have pens and yeah. do you have you know all sorts of other things and, and then you just started adding it on that's so crazy yeah. and the other thing you did it sounds like was you just surrounded yourself with really great people and people that you aspired to be like yeah okay you were doing your networking which is fantastic but you i mean i'd love to hear more about this michael mcleod fellow of you if you're happy to talk about him, he was a mentor. He is a mentor. Yeah, right he's still a mentor. We don't catch up as much, but yeah, it gave me some really great advice um, over the years. Um, How he did sort you meet of, him? Uh, look, I suppose it was it was at, uh, through a, a consultant, a business consultant that I met. I was, you know, I suppose when I was in that period of trying to figure out what I was doing in IT, where there wasn't much work going around in that, uh, uh, you know, because of the type of work I was doing, like there's plenty of work in IT, but I guess my experience and my market um, was sort of shrinking, and I was looking for other opportunities and. Yeah, I, I was introduced to him and, and he just sort of, I guess he was one of the ones that was responsible for, um, I guess, blazing a path and, and helping that supply nation become established in Australia. Um, so it was through his leadership and, um, you know, his experiences in business that helped create that um, market. And I suppose the whole Indigenous business sector was kind of spurred on by a lot of his leadership. So, yeah, he's an amazing man um, and, you know, has done so much for the, for the whole business sector. So he's really a bit of an icon. In, yeah, in, definitely. Yeah, for, for the people. I love that. And and um, so they started asking you for more, um, I mean, d d different supplies, more than ink and whatnot. And what did you do? You just kept adding them on? Or? Yeah, I mean, I knew nothing about um, uh, how to get that supply, obviously. But when you're starting out in business, of course, you say yes to everything. Yeah, um, you so know nothing about anything anyway at the start. <laughs> so you're like, yeah. Wanna. Exactly. And and. Yeah, you know, when you're young and naive, you just say yes to everything. And so we said yes and then tried to figure out later how to do it. Um, but that came with other challenges because we were because we didn't have any kind of warehousing or distribution model set up. Our ink cartridge model was um, direct by the vendor, direct ship from the vendor. And so we had to try to figure out if we could do the same thing with paper and stationery. And there were some scenarios where that could happen, but we ran into a lot of logistical problems and challenges. We had delivery trucks parking on, you know, city streets and not going into docks and just because it wasn't our um, supply chain things. and delivery and we couldn't control or we didn't know about where to deliver. So there were a lot of problems but the customers were very understanding, I suppose. They knew that we were very early in our journey and we were building something and they wanted to be a part of that. Um, but the other thing that came out of it was we saw that there was still a huge capability gap um, and we kept getting feedback from these organisations we were working with or from prospects we were trying to um, engage with um, that we didn't have capability and if we wanted to at this point we were just Sydney based if you wanted uh, any kind of contract or to work with us on on any kind of serious scale you will need to have a partner you'll need national capabilities uh, and so that's where we began our search for a, for a partner to, to help bring capability to the business so you you, you look to go national partners in other states basically yeah so that's, that's when we sort of went back to Supply Nation and said, do you know of any large office supplies providers in this space? And they introduced us to our current partner, uh, Complete Office Supplies or COS, hence the mm -hmm. name Moz. Um, uh, they're Australia's largest office products provider and they've got warehouses in every capital city. So 
uh, and it, it's a great – they've got a great story. They're, um, their founder, Dominic Leone, so it's a family-owned business. He immigrated to Australia. Italian? Um, uh, he's Egyptian. Immigrated, really? Yeah, yeah. Immigrated to, uh, to Australia when he was very young to escape the Six-Day War with his family and was supported and looked after by Australian charities. So his um, business, the, the COS business, also contributes a substantial percentage of their profits back to Australian charities and there's just a lot of synergies and alignments with my vision and what I was trying to achieve and – Cos and, and the family and, and, you know, that's why the partnership worked well. So that was formed in 2014 uh, and that's when Moz was formed. So it was my Miru Group business combining with Cos to create uh, to create Miru Office Supplies. It's literally a match made in heaven, that one. Yeah. And one thing you said that I think is pretty wicked, um, you said, you know, we're screwing up the delivery or whatever, there was logistical problems and at the start. Mm-hmm. But you said our customers were understanding mm-hmm. And and they're obviously understanding because they, I think you said, because they believed in the company, they believed in what we were building. That's a really cool thing to think about. That's a really unique thing to think about. When your business has a purpose that aligns with your customers, something that they think is worthwhile, that that they they, they want to back, that's the only time you can ever get, get away with screwing up stuff. You know, it, 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 they're going to be more lenient with you. And that, that's, I mean, I can definitely relate to that with Cub. Mm-hmm. You know, there were, We've done tons of stupid things. Um, but because we're building something, we're passionate about building something for Australian entrepreneurs, something that would genuinely help them and improve their entrepreneurial journey. Members have always been really kind of understanding and, and uh, I guess, not lenient, just patient mm-hmm. and believing of us. Like, that's something you sound like you've done really well. Yeah, I mean, it's I guess it's a fine line of how much you stuff up. But, yeah. but, <laughs> yeah. but that'd um, be a shit business. <laughs> <laughs> but I think if your intent and your you know your your purpose and your intent is 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 right, and then there are some you know issues, and and at the end of the day, we're not in a, a high risk kind of uh, industry. If you don't get your delivery of pens, you will survive. Um, you know. And, and that's not obviously to say that we do that a lot, <laughs> you know, but, no, but if there are happen. occasions where yeah. things happen and you don't get your delivery or, um, you know, so definitely we're understanding. And I think it was, it's, it's kind of goes back to, you know, I've heard it before and people say, you know, you should try to choose the clients you work with as well. And we, in the early stages, maybe didn't do that as much, but um, we do like to, as part of, you know, prospecting and business development, um, really like to make sure that our clients really understand our value and understand the value that we provide as a business. And that's the point I want to make or that I wanted to make. I want the listeners to think is, is our purpose, is that really in line with our clients and do we communicate that well? Like, Do they want to see us on our journey? Do they want to – you kind of want to make your business a bit of a, a, bit of a character and a story that they, mm-hmm. they can cheer for. Yeah. And uh, you want it to be a good character because – yeah, okay, don't make mistakes. It's, that, that shouldn't happen. It's going to happen occasionally. A business is business and people are people. It's going to happen. It doesn't matter how perfect. Apple makes mistakes, right? But if um, if business A, who's got a great purpose that's in line with the customer, the customer loves that, that what that business is doing, and business B, uh, which is just your average business, doesn't really have any – doesn't communicate any strong purpose or alignment, mm-hmm. they're both – offer supplies for that business and business they both make the same mistake the client is going to forgive business a more than business b they're going to feel they're going to think ah that's all right we'll, we'll get over it. business b if they've got no emotional attachment to it they've got no 
alignment where they get, they get, they're probably going to get pretty angry and they'd be quick to move. Yeah, well, I mean, we, we like to think that's true, um, no, certainly I from our perspective. But, and I think it comes down to, and it's something that we try to uh, talk about with our clients is, um, you know, I've talked about this organisation supply nation and this whole supply diversity trend and corporations and government wanting to buy and support Aboriginal business. But um, we don't want it to just be about that. We don't want it to just be we need to tick a box and work with these guys. We want it to be a business case for our customers to work with us. So if you think about, you know, ComBank um, being one of our customers or, or just any bank in general, um, if you want to uh, capture from a banking perspective, if you want to capture um, customers from all different demographics and all different walks of life, it makes sense to want to work with, you should work with those businesses from those kind of uh, walks of life. And also from an employee perspective, you want to work for an organisation that supports these businesses and, you know, supports businesses with a purpose because it makes you feel great about getting up and going to work every day. So I think we, we try to make sure we package our value to say that, you know, supporting us also creates these outcomes and it also, um, you know, help, helps your comp- your staff engage at work because they love supporting a business like ours. And, what, and But also what you said was, hey, we don't want it just to be about that, 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 you know, you're supporting diversity. We want to actually be a strong business case. Do you think that that, that actually drives you even harder towards perfection because you want to show uh, it is not just a diversity thing, this is also we're the best at what we do? Yeah, I think so, definitely. I mean, we want to be known as a great business, not a great Aboriginal or Indigenous business. Not we just want. a great story. Yeah, not just a great yeah. story. I mean, it, it for us when we're competing, uh, we know we can give great great value and great pricing. We know we can give great service and all of the other, you know, benefits that come along with, with what we provide and that contribution to community, our strong um, Indigenous employment goals, all of those things are really just a, a benefit or a value add. Um, and they make a huge difference, um, you know, when I guess when we're up against our comp- competition. Yeah, 100%. Mm-hmm. And how did you go about – it might have been a bit easier for you, but in regards you, you knew what you wanted to do, but how would someone go about finding a strong purpose that, that, they, that they feel that they, uh, you know, really personally aligned with? Um, you know, what, what, what's a process someone could think through uh, towards finding a, a strong purpose for their business? But also your business is kind of you. You know what I mean? You really just it, – it's something that – it's the tangible product of what – of of feelings you're having in your brain as an entrepreneur. It just that, – that that's what it creates. And so what's a nice process you think people should – a way people should think about? What's my purpose and what could others, particularly my clients, support? That's something they'd want to go for. Yeah, look, it's a really good question and, and I guess it may have came a little easier to me um, – but I think, you know, you always hear that, you know, a lot of people talk about doing something you love and and being in an industry or, or you know, putting your energy and passion behind something you love. So I think you, you're absolutely right. I think your business is sort of an extension of yourself. Um, you're not going to, to, to go into business if you're not passionate about what you, the outcomes you're trying to create. And I think that's the way that we – that I operate and, and, you know, it's part of – it comes back to our vision. It's about the outcomes that we create and, you know, driving the business to create those outcomes and whether that's through partnerships um, with, our, with our clients uh, or whether that's through employment, you know, we're trying to create as many outcomes as we can. So that's uh, what we've tried to align the vision and vision behind and the purpose. Mm. And most of your, most of your clients, all your clients, you, you said your B2B business, so all your things are B2B. Um. Do you and in the past, if you, do, is your market primarily uh, 
large organizations like the ones I mentioned, like Qantas and things like that, or is uh, or is it also SMEs? Where do your where does prim- your market primarily sit? Yeah, I mean, it, we I mean everybody needs office office supplies, but what we've found, uh, um, I, I guess, over the past um, you know six years or so, is that those larger organizations uh, really understand and appreciate our value and. Uh, whether it comes back to those things I touched on about, um, you know, being a strong corporate citizen and, you know, or they, they understand the business case that, you know, working with with a, with a supplier that has a purpose or a vision or a diverse supplier or whether it's, you know, trying to create an environment that their staff appreciate their organisation for what they do. Those are some of the things. Um, we do work with obviously a lot of small businesses and a lot of media, uh, mid-market size, size organisations. Um, but I suppose the reason we, we love working with the big end of town is they generally do uh, – it is a little bit stickier. We do have uh, contracts in place that, you know, unless we really stuff up, um, we're usually in there for three years, sometimes more. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of why we spend a lot of time doing business development for those those organisations. But, of course, we – you know, our model is set up to have an online, online ordering system, uh, next day delivery if you order by 5 p.m. in metro areas. So we are very much set up for any small business to be so able to. So if I was to order right now from the website, which Cub uses you guys, but if let's say I'm to order right now, I'll get it tomorrow. That's right, yep. That's crazy. And, yeah, really it's quite a unique circumstance. You've got those big, large organisations who, like you said, they have a strong appreciation for um, uh, uh, partnering with businesses for a good cause um, for a lot of reasons. You know, they're public companies, there's a lot of great – uh, PR, they have a lot of staff, which means that there's a lot of diversity in their staff, and they want to um, they, they want to be they, they want to be a business that the staff are proud to work at. Um, but it's also a great it's, that was a great in to grow very fast in mm-hmm. in the larger market, which typically is very hard to break, right? But what now you're there, right? You've you've got some huge contracts, like you said, they're sticky contracts, they're great contracts. But now you're in a prime position as well to expand into in more so into the SME market as well because you're so established as a uh, as a business so it really you know it, it is a bit of a, a like a wave you know mm. you come into one sector of the market and because you did so strong in that you can and especially due to the technology that you've got on your website and things like that you can now move into the SME is that the plan yeah look it's something that we'd love to love to do and I think it's really understanding the market I think we understand the big end of town very well uh, and it's just it's just learning the, the different intricacies of those smaller businesses and what they uh, what they value. I suppose we know that the large end of town values our val- like you know appreciates our value proposition, and we know that there are smaller organisations that do and definitely do. But it's just working out you know what what appeals to them and and how we can fit in. So absolutely, you know there'll be a lot of small businesses out there who uh, appreciate the purpose that we have and will definitely want to work with us. But I suppose there's more of them and it's just harder to get to them. Yeah. And, you know, I guess that comes back to, it is definitely one of the reasons I joined Cub, um, not just to learn from others and, and learn and network and, and, you know, learn from people that have been through experiences I haven't yet, um, in business, but also to, to network and potentially, you know, get people to buy from me. Yeah. Meet more, meet more, I guess, spread the brand and the name through, through the uh, entrepreneurial market. The, yeah. The SME. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, there's things that we provide that um, particularly if you've got a, a smaller business that has multiple sites that might be buying from different suppliers and, uh, you know, just transitioning over to one supplier and consolidating that can provide savings. So it's, there's just sort of, in, you know, benefits that can be had immediately from those kind of things. And also you can think about like, as far as certain certain people backing uh, companies with certain purposes or certain things, it's kind of the same thing. 
Cup members all like to buy off Cup members because they want to support the their club. So it, it, like the fact that you're a member is almost like another uh, kind of purpose reason for other members to to buy off you. You know what I mean? It's that it's that. Oh yeah, I want to support that. Like really, as a business, you're just looking for support. That may be, um, you know, your purpose as a business, but it could also be uh, other companies or clubs or communities that you're aligned with that, that others could could then support because of that, mm-hmm. right? And the fact that you're a great business. So maybe Cub is more like no. <laughs> I do see a lot of symmetry there, and. So with these big companies, they're not easy to sell. They're not easy to get in the door. They're not easy to sell to. I'm sure they chuck you through the ringer and do all the due diligence. And 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 the fact that you work in so many big organizations obviously shows your strength as a company and, and how good you are. Mm-hmm. Um, but do you want to maybe share a bit about the sales cycle that, mm-hmm. that comes along with these type of guys? Yeah, uh, definitely. Or how and you do it? It's, it's uh, something that has changed over the years for us uh, and that's predominantly because we've, I guess got runs on the board now like any business does. Um, sometimes in the early days we used to face those uh, unconscious bias situations because we're an Aboriginal business and there's all these assumptions that companies make that you're not capable. So there were a lot – there was a lot Do of that in that the early stages. you think that was happening stages. a lot at the start? Definitely, yeah. And I mean now it's, it's definitely less likely because we have a brand and we are working with some of these amazing companies and that takes the risk – away from from these you know newer opportunities that we're working on but certainly in the early years um, it was obviously slower to get going and there was a lot of that happening and it, it still happens um, with a lot of my peers definitely really mm. that's really interesting for me to hear and I, I mean definitely yeah I, I don't know I don't obviously don't have too much knowledge on the topic but for someone like me who's obviously quite young and, and grew up in the modern world and things like that I mean that's not something that would comes across my yeah. my mind but how would you i suppose it's different with much larger or older companies maybe but but and how did you notice that how like what was the um i guess they sort of would string you along a little bit at times and you know there's there's a lot of organizations that i've worked with a lot of it is timing as well you know contract cycles unfortunately i mentioned that the stickiness and the good thing when you are in, in, a, in, a, in a, a partnership, you do have that longevity. But then on the flip side of that, when you're not working with those organisations, there's a potentially long wait and a long sales cycle to get in front of them. So that's just inherently there. But sometimes that uh, they, there were organisations that probably took advantage of that by saying, oh, we've just signed a contract, sorry. Um, okay. And maybe that wasn't necessarily the case. Um, yeah. So they sort of kind of put you to, put you to the side to say, come back in. 12 months and talk to me yeah. and look it could be a little bit of let's test this guy and see if his business is still here in 12 months and that's fine um you know you, you're fresh on the scene they need to make sure that you're legitimate that you've got you know you can guarantee continuity of supply um so there's a lot of factors and, and you know to to supply office products you've got to have that national uh, capability so there's a lot involved it's not just um you know, you can, you can ship out of one location nationally. So you've got to have that, those local touch points. So there is a lot involved and I suppose they need to make sure that you're serious. So there can be a little bit of that, but um, it, there's a, there was just a lot of lip service in the early stages. Yeah, you did feel it. You yeah, just you felt know, it. When you know, yeah. you know. Yeah. And, but does it give you now a huge amount of satisfaction to the fact that you overcame any sort of stupid bias like that and you just dominated? Definitely. Yeah, it'd be mad feeling. Yeah. I can imagine. Even I feel good. Now. <laughs> yeah, that'd be an amazing feeling. Yeah, it definitely does. And particularly, you know, 
two of the clients you mentioned before, Commonwealth Bank and, and Qantas. You know, we were successful in winning those uh, those partnerships in the same month last year. Wow! Um, so you know, it was a it was an amazing period at the you know, the last uh, over those couple of months, um, sort of last late last year, and uh, and it really you know solidified the fact that we're here, we're a serious player, um, and we can compete. You know, and we've just continued to win. Um, you know, other other amazing great partnerships since then. And yeah. in turn, it makes those two companies and brands. Um, it shows how gr- how gr- great of brands they are, how strong of companies they are, and how they want to support Australian because they don't have to order from Australian companies, do they? They, they could, don't. There's, there's tons no. of big Americans <laughs> and European companies, I'm sure, that do office supplies and things. Yeah, the biggest player is a is a, an American owned business. Is it um, in a, so that's in Australia? Australia? Yeah. There you go. So they, they could are, easily go with them. Exactly. But they didn't. They went with an Australian company. That's. I mean, that makes me like them even more. <laughs> I'm sure. It may, I'm sure it makes a lot of people like them even more. It, it is. It is a bit of a differentiator as well. Um, mm. You know, and the fact that our partner Cos is also an Australian business. Um, you know, that means that our partnership and both organisations are, are 100% Australian owned. Australia's best country on the planet. <laughs> and so the sales cycle. So it can be quite a long one. Yep. You did you walk us through it. What do they do? Yeah. Look, I, I suppose it comes down to relationships and and just continually being there. Some of our customers, um, KPMG programmed group who we work with, um, I started developing relationships probably three to four years before we did any business with them. Uh, and that comes down to, you know, contract cycles, but also a little bit of, um, you know, wanting to wanting to test you out as a, as a business to see, let's see if in six months or 12 months they're still there. Let's see who else is working with them. I think there's a little bit of that as well. They may not want to be, you know, the first off the rank to kind of um, risk a supply contract on someone that's fairly new in the industry. Which, you know what, really, I mean, if you can avoid being that person, you probably would. Like as any company, like you would avoid being the one that takes the risk. You'd rather yep. someone else take it and then see what happens. And it does so make sense. You can understand sense. that. Yeah. yeah, 100%. It does make sense. And But I suppose, you know, from our perspective, there's also a huge risk for us, right? Our reputation's on the line. If we screw up, if we win a, bit, win a partnership and during that transition process where we're in implementing uh, their account and bringing them from their other supplier over, if we screw that up, that gets out. Yeah. You know, and... That's, Small industry. Yeah, the biggest, biggest one of the biggest competitions we face is change, because some of our competitors, some of our customers, have been with the competition for a very long time, sometimes ten years, and so change management and that transition is our biggest barrier at times. So, so and by that you mean that, uh, let's say, Qantas have been with their supplier for ten years, and you're coming in trying to get them to move to you. So. How do yep. you convince them to make a change with a company that they've been with for 10 years? Is that what you mean? Yeah, exactly. So that, you know, people are just resistant to change as it is. So organisations and, and it comes down to is there, a, is there a someone in the organisation who can champion this, you know, they really understand the value that you're providing and really want to uh, make a change. And, and it's identifying pain points, you know, what pain points do they have? Um, is that enough to make them change and make them look at, seriously considering this what kpis do they have because some of these organizations do have kpis around uh, spending with aboriginal owned businesses and they also have kpis and you know corporate social responsibility targets so how do we leverage all of these things when we're you know talking about our value proposition to push them over the over the line and who's the (laughs) this is probably slightly dodgy way of doing it but who's the like boss person in these companies that typically or is it the procurement manager is usually yeah there's usually a procurement, procurement manager. manager and depending on how big the company is they could have a whole team of procurement people and that would then, be better because what you could do is you could go start building relationships be friends with all the 
the ones, not the boss one, the, all the ones under him, because eventually the boss one's going to be fired. You know, all these big corporates, their their turnover is always high. They, people are coming and going. All the, if you're friends with all the others, then the boss one leaves eventually. You'd be like, oh, hey, bro, can you like switch us over? We're already mates and you don't even know that other company. And they probably would. It it does. It's you know as much as it you know you, we joke about it. It does happen like that. Of course and it you, does. It, it's all it's exactly. All about I can almost guarantee yeah. that is every change that happens is because there is a change in the team of the not yeah. every but there would be a high majority of change happening in corporations is done because someone's moved in the company. Someone's yeah. changed. Yeah, and that, and that's why you know those those relationships I'd build in those organisations over four or five years. It, it's every six months you're going in there and you're having a conversation. You you know you. You're catching up with them, and then you're front of mind. And then you know when when a um, when an opportunity comes up, they remember you because you're yeah. always in their face. Yeah. And so, how do, I was going to ask you that: how, how often are you in touch with them? How are you taking them for lunch? Do you just catch up for a phone call? Yeah, it's usually just catching up for a bit of a chat. Um, I don't drink coffee, but we call it a catch up for a coffee. Yeah. Um, so you know, catching up for a, for a coffee or or for lunch, definitely, and really just talking about. It's really talking about the industry, talking about how we're going as a business. They're, they're genuinely interested in, in mm. your journey as well. So even when they're not working with you, they want to understand your journey. And I think it comes down to those things we talked about before. It's if you're if you, if they know you're winning other other contracts, then they know that you're serious, yeah. um, and you know that puts you in good stead when they do have an opportunity. And it is their. I mean, that's their purpose in their business is understanding the market. Yep. So, I mean, they've got a direct interest in knowing more about you exactly. and about your company and being able to communicate that to their superiors. And this is the company, this is why we would go with them. This is what I think. Yeah, you know, exactly so. right. And, and I mean, you know, we can give them intel on um, what's happening broad, more broadly in the industry as well and what we're hearing um, about some of the other competitions. So it just it gives them good insight. And one thing I think that all, uh, like but probably every listener could, could take away from that is something I, I definitely relate to is that, you know, just because you've met somebody that like, just because you've met with somebody that is a, could be a client and they have not yet bought for you, whether it be a month, a year, two years, whatever it is, that doesn't mean they won't buy from you. It means you need to be communicating with them regularly. And, and really, it just means that they weren't yet comfortable enough to buy from you for whatever reason, whether they want more social proof, they want to see how you go or whatever, or they're waiting for a change in their organisation, contract to finish, uh, something to happen. Yep. Either way, if you're in regular, you're in their face regularly with good with good communication with, hey, look how strong we are. Look at the wins we've got on the board. Mm-hmm. We still want you. We still love you. We want you. Eventually they're going to come. Exactly. You've got to show them you want their business yeah. and, you know, we're showing them the, the, what we're doing with community. We're showing them the other customers we're coming on board. And, you know, a lot of my peers are guilty of it. They give up after one one try. Mm. Uh, they think that potentially that organisation is just selling them a lie to say, oh, we're in a contract for the next three years. But realistically, it's generally true. Mm. Um, so don't give up. You've got to be persistent. Uh, it's what I've done. It's worked for us. It's just mm. consistently being in there. And, you know, I'm, I'm pretty stubborn. I don't like to take no for an answer. So uh, <laughs> so when I get that response to say, look, we can't work with you at the moment, um, I'll just continue following up with them until and an really, opportunity comes. And really, it's your industry. Why not have friends that are in your industry and of which are in companies that could be mutually beneficial for you both? Like regardless yep. of that, perhaps salespeople sometimes go in just thinking about the sale. Mm-hmm. It's like relax. Maybe make a friend first. 
Yeah, it's it's you never know who people know. They they may move organisations, and you may get an opportunity at that organisation, or you know they could introduce you to someone, you know, a colleague. So it it is about that. I think for us, and you know, for me being an Aboriginal person, we like to share stories and we like to understand and know the people we're working with. So for me, the first couple of times I meet with someone, it's understanding them as a person and mm. getting to know them on a personal level, where they're from, what their interests are, and then you know, there's not really much talk. We talk a little bit about what we do, uh, and you know, then. I follow up and keep following up. Yeah, I mean, like even I think about like that type of stuff with Cub. We're very good at staying in touch with with people until we get a definitive no. But really, after that, we're horrible. We have almost no continued communication with um, people who would be great members. Uh, we're not telling them, "Hey, look at all these amazing new members we've got. Look at the." Uh, how big the club is now. Look at the thing, the initiatives and things that we're doing. Look at all the money we raised for the fire fund and charity. Yeah. Look, you know, we're not doing that. And I bet you most businesses probably haven't got a communication plan towards lost, like you'd call it lost leads, you know, lost potential clients, yep. people that you wanted but you didn't get. That's prob- they're probably the most important people to communicate to because they'd be the quickest to buy when yeah. they're ready. They've already <laughs> met you, they already know about you, you've already paid for the lead so you don't even have to buy it. It's already there, you've already got the data. Yeah, it's spot on. And, you know, there, there is a fine line. Obviously, if you get a definitive no, like they're never going to want to work with you, then, you know, I do I do, at some point give up or you, or you just give it more time before you go back because, mm. you know, something could have changed. But, you know, it, it, you can sort of understand guess their their intent behind what they're saying and whether they are giving you lip service or whether there's a potential opportunity to come back in the future and you've got to keep following up and one thing that you also have to do is is like you said before you've got to create that value mm. right there's never no just annoying people you need to create value for them and for yourself yeah right and perhaps for you know creating value for yourself what, what would that that would be kind of like um um, like social proof, I guess. Like, mm. look at this is a client that we've gotten that's creating value for for you. Yeah, yep, definitely stuff like that. Testimonials, case studies that we can. Do you do. guys do a lot of that? Yeah, well, probably not enough. I mean, when you talked about communication plan, we don't have a really strong communication plan. We do really well at communicating it in person mm-hmm. um, when we get in front of our prospects or get in front of our customers. But in terms of you know what we do externally to to bring in organic leads we don't do much there but testimonials we do try to get testimonials and we do when we do form a new partnership try to work with that organization to put out a media release and talk about it publicly Mm -hmm. just to reinforce you know the the partnership and the values um but yeah it's it's something that i think from a testimonial point of view it adds a lot of weight into our into our proposals and we do try to tailor it so uh, a lot of our customers we're integrated through like a a technology platform uh, and when we find out what platform that customer's using we'll try to find a testimonial that aligns to that same platform so it's very personalized and i think you know there's no out-of-the-box proposals we research those organizations find out what their sustainability goals are their environmental goals uh, kpis around other things and we'll tailor our responses in our proposal to meet those things yeah um, so that all creates value because it and even some of the terminology and wording that they use in their vision or their about um, website we you use, use some it. of those words yeah. and keywords to make it feel like familiar to them and the benefit you also have is because you're going for whales not big fish <laughs> you know you can really come armed with uh, a lot of weaponry like you can focus on that business you can really understand you can put a lot of attention towards that business in order to to win it in understanding yep. it rather than 
you know, you don't have to deal with uh, thousands of businesses. You're focusing on, okay, these six are our, yep. f- these are our focus this quarter or whatever it may be. And you can really, you know, you should speak to, you should speak to Alexandra King. She's a, a fellow member of yours at Cub. Mm-hmm. Um, but she has a, like a, a outsourced CMO company. She's brilliant. She works with so many members. She, she'd come in, she'd look at, at what you're doing and she, she'd provide a lot of great uh, technologies and marketing tips and things that you could do. You should definitely – actually, Laura will remind me after. I'll, I'll connect you to it. She's, she's a gun. She's mad. She oh. helped us out with a lot of stuff as well. Yeah, that sounds um, great. And um, partnerships. One of the biggest keys to your – one of the biggest, I guess – yeah, why? Would you say the partnerships have been a major key to your success? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, that whether that's um, partnering with, you know, or, or having that mentor relationship early on in my business. Um, also, you know, the organisation I partnered with um, who helped me get the supply chain for the cartridge, in cartridges early on. Uh, one of those guys worked works for Len Lease. So he's been a, a strong – um, advocate and, and a strong, I guess, mentor in understanding the corporate landscape and, and you know, how corporates operate and and that that kind of thing. We don't work with Len Lease, but um, obviously just his insight into into how corporate works. So so those two guys early on in my career, those those relationships were really vital. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then yeah, just having industry relationships, having relationships in the community, um, you know, for for us because of you know the purpose we have is is really important. Um, but I think it's it's extremely important because we've never won a tender or a bid where there was no relationship previously. Mm. You know, so whenever we've received, if I've received it across my desk or in my inbox, uh, uh, an opportunity to tender on something, and we don't have any relationship with that organisation, we've never won, and we just decline them now. So in the early stages, we tried, um, but it just shows that if you don't have generally what's in the tender documentation. Is not everything you need to know to win. Mm. There's things that uh, other pieces of information that you, if you had, you'd be able to put forward a more compelling offer, or you'd be able to understand what they actually want. Sometimes they don't say what they actually want in the in those documents, and if if you don't have a relationship and understand, you won't that, know it then. You won't know it. Yeah, that's so true. And, so, and all, all the yeah. obvious relationship is cause, isn't it? Yeah, cause. And definitely. that's obviously a, a, another huge relationship that's allowed you to expand. Without nationally. them, we. We wouldn't have, you know, our capability, the, the national footprint, uh, and it takes a lot of risk away from from organisations working with us. And what's your strategy? I mean, how do you compete with, uh, like, what's your strategy towards competing with some of the big players in your industry? Because mm-hmm. there are some. I mean, the obvious one is that hey, we're not just Australian, but we're Australian with a great purpose. Yeah. And none of them can uh, like protect, particularly that American mob. Mm-hmm. They can never say that. Yeah. Yeah, look, that's definitely it. And I think there's there, there are some things, timing is one of them. And, you know, we've been fortunate that um, the, 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 the large American organisation recently went through a merger. So the two largest companies in Australia were Staples and OfficeMax. And they were both purchased by the same private equity, American private equity firm who merged them together and they are known as Wink. So they're the number one player in the business. When they merged, um, they didn't have the best experience merging and there was, you know, we've, we've heard a lot of pain from their customers about that. So, you know, we've capitalised on that. We've been able to win some business away from them during that time. Uh, and I think it's just been able to, to talk about the stability of our organisation, uh, the fact that, you know, we've been around, you know, we're both family-owned, COS is family-owned. There's huge stability there. It's privately owned. There's no, you know, 
board of shareholders that we need to answer to in terms of what they want. Uh, and, and it's all about the customer experience. And it's not about like a return. They, they can speak to you whenever they want That's to right. if they need yep. to. Yeah, and they can even speak to the CEO of COS if they need to. Uh, that can happen. Um, so if, if, if it got to that point where we're there – and it's about the customer experience. It's not about return on investment like it is with our comp- competition. And, and on top of that, uh, I read somewhere or you told me, I can't remember, a percentage of your profits – goes towards Indigenous communities and causes. Yeah, that's yes? right. Yeah, And there's been hundreds of thousands of dollars um, provided. And what are some of the things that they've gone towards? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's something that we, because of my vision and purpose, it, it was something that when we partnered with COS, we made it part of our shareholder agreement mm-hmm. um, that it had to be this way. And uh, a percentage of all, all profits uh, goes to those community programs. And it's not something we said, oh, once we get to a certain revenue goal, we'll start. It was from day one. Um, so we've been doing it, which obviously in the early stages it wasn't very much, um, but now we're at a point where um, you know, since uh, since founding in 2014 that partnership with COS, uh, we've given over $270,000 away. Jeez. Uh, 114 of that was in the last financial year. So each year because of our growth and the customers we're bringing on, that's just um, skyrocketing. Um, so our ultimate goal is to be able to give half a million dollars every year uh, back to community programs. So we're hoping that we can get to that point in the next sort of five to ten years. That'd be amazing. And, and do you do you up do, do you update your speaking of like communication plan? Do you update your current clients and potentially future? Hey, look, this is where the money's gone. Like, is there specific things it goes to, or is it yeah. just to groups of people? No, definitely, we like to support pr- more projects um, as opposed to just giving money to a charity. So yeah. we, do, we try to do project based too. stuff, um, and we've we've had programs that we've supported for sort of long periods of time, and they're all in education, employment, health and wellbeing type things. So there is a, a childcare program in Far North Queensland that we support. So it's like an early education play group that runs three days a week, uh, and it supports a, a community um, supports about thirty Aboriginal kids that go to that program, and it's it's actually open to non Aboriginal kids as well. But it allows the parents of these children to have childcare so that they're able to work and, and yeah yeah and look it, it, it obviously employment. that's right and it's more it's more about um uh it, it's also about the, the the education of the kids because historically or majority of the time when aboriginal kids go to primary school they're already behind there's already a gap in their education because of their literacy and numeracy so this yes. is trying to bridge that gap and, and provide that and so what do you think is some uh, what do you think of the this is obviously a very complex question but i'd love your opinion what do you think are the um, you know, maybe three uh, biggest um, disabling factors that uh, these Aborigine, Aboriginal kids are experiencing or Aboriginals in general. Things that – because, it, I mean, you did, the reason I ask is because you mentioned the things that you're, you're – um, the, the causes you're donating towards, which childcare, you mentioned employment mm-hmm. – and I think was it health the other one you health said health and wellbeing yeah yeah and, and so would you say that perhaps those are the things that you you feel are, are the most important to to, to target um, first it is it, it is a very complex question because it's probably it, it'd be different for every region and different different area and um, but yeah I, I think that they're in my personal opinion you know and I, I'm not an expert on 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 all of it but those kind of areas are the most important for me especially early mm-hmm. education definitely. Um, and employment because you know the employment gap is is a lot bigger in terms for, for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. So yeah. that's definitely a key thing, and, and and you know health and wellbeing. So the the mortality rate or the you know the, the average life of an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander person is a lot less than than the average person. So um, focusing on those areas for us is probably the most it's important. Primary. And, and it's you know I mean we we 
let's let's face it we're one one business and even though we're giving back we're not going to be able to change the world but every little bit helps and if we can make an impact um then that's you know and but for example the reason i asked is uh, cub does uh, charities and donations every year as well and if for example if uh, helping indigenous communities was our focus for a year then we would know okay that childcare is a fantastic place to put it to, to make sure that there's no uh, fall behind before primary school starts. Mm. And really, if, you, if you're helping a community at the very start of their lives, that's the most important time. Yeah. You know, you're, you're giving them the base. That's, the, mm. that's your foundation for your future. Oh, 100%. And, and that community, we started that project probably about four years ago now and we've been – it's about 65000 a year to, to, to contribute to that program. But at, we, at the time we started that project – uh, there was 150 people in that community and around 30% of them were under five. So you can think about how important early education is to the future of that community. A huge percentage um, of the community was under five. 30%. Wow. So it, it's it's extremely vital that they get that education. So then when they go through primary school, high school, they're not behind and they can come back and make a difference for their community. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah. And, and if any members or anyone wanted to reach out to find uh, – great organisations to support or donate to, you, you would know a few they can reach oh, out look, to? Oh, look, I know a few. Yep. I mean, we, we also support um, a program in La Perouse, which is my community, called Indigigrow, and that's a program that's all about um, uh, bush, bush plants and bush foods. And, you know, they revitalise endangered species of plants and um, they teach kids about the importance of bush foods and native plants. And we're, we're actually um, paying for two high school kids to do a horticultural apprenticeship through the program. So, um, and, you know, it's, I'm very passionate about it because it's in my community and it's supporting local kids. So, but that, that oh, program dear. is you can go there and buy plants if you like as well in La Perouse. So it's open on the weekend as well, Mate, on Saturdays. So if anyone really, wants to support and get a plant for their home, they can should. go there. You're an incredible person. The company you've built, how you started, what your purpose is, what you've done, what you've accomplished, all these things you support. If I was the person that distributed Nobel Prizes, <laughs> no, but uh, jokes aside, you, you're just a really incredible person. I'm, I'm very proud to have you as a member of our club. Oh, thank you. Um, and speaking of our club, what's it, what was the reason you joined in the first place? Uh, look, I, predominantly it was to, to learn from others. Uh, I think I, I got so much value out of, um, you know, having a mentor in my early career and, and even though I still catch up with Michael, I think having – diverse opinions and, 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 you know, learn from people with different experiences. I, I think even though I'd experienced different things and, and, you know, it was great in terms of sales selling to big companies, I had no experience in employment, had no experience in managing teams. Uh, and so, you know, there, that was a goal to be able to learn some of those skills and you know, through some of the people and some of the, you know, the pieces of information I learned through Core and other, other um, you know, networking events, I did get some, you know, helpful tips that have helped me build a bit of a team now. Right. Um, so that was definitely helpful. But, you know, I guess it's also to network uh, with others and, and, you know, look for opportunities to see if I can – you know, share what I do and share some of my knowledge and expertise and, and then, you know, if that leads to business relationships, great. And what, and what have you loved particularly about the club thus far? I think Because you just finished your first year. Yeah, so you yeah. Look, uh, uh, the community feel, I guess, and, and I think it's my own fault. I probably haven't put as much as I would have liked into yeah, the first month. You didn't go to your months. last course session. <laughs> I was going to call you. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so, yeah, it's it's – you know, I haven't been able to put as much as I would have liked into the first 12 months and that definitely will change moving forward. I, I definitely – but I think just the community feel. Um, it's – I think you guys do an amazing job of selecting the members and um, welcoming people that you feel are going to be a good fit into the community. Mm -hmm. So everybody that I've met has been so willing to talk and share 
Um, I haven't experienced anyone that sort of, you know, just snobbed me off or anything like that. Yeah. It's, it's just, yeah, it's been it's a great feel. It's a family feel. feel. That, yep. that, that's what we nailed the best. That we, we, we did the culture well. We got the culture and we got the right type of people. Because, yeah, there's business owners, but then there's also, like, if you look at all the cub members, they're all very sim- – yes, they're successful in business, but they're actually good people. Mm. And you feel that. And they're not just good people. They're good people that value uh, family, you know, community, and they want to be a part of something. Yep. And it's just really special. Um, and you had uh, – I really loved – in your prep sheet, you put your favourite quote. Yes. And I really, do, you, do you remember it? Can you say it? Because yeah. I really, it's because it was a long one. It, it was a bit of a long one. Yeah. Um, it's you can fool some of the people all of the time and all of the people some of the time, but you can't fool all of the people all of the time. And why is that your favourite quote? Uh, it, it's because it reminds me to be authentic um, because, I, you know, you've always got to be your authentic self and you've always got to be true to who you are because if you don't, you'll be found out. Yeah. So and that it just reminds me to be me. And, and that's literally what you've done your entire career. In fact, your whole business is based off the fact of celebrating your authenticity and who you are and, and where you're from. And that, that, there's no, that, that makes sense that that's why your favourite quote. You're a really cool dude. <laughs> um, and maybe why don't we finish with, why don't you leave the listeners with one last thought or lesson or leave them with something. It doesn't have to be a lesson. It could be just something to think for them to think about. Anything. Um, yeah, look, it's a good question. I Anything that comes to mind really was, you know, uh, something that Michael taught me very early on um, was to learn to say no. Um, And I think that's very valuable and it can be very strong. Um, If you don't feel like an opportunity is good for you, uh, it's not on your terms, um, you know, or just say no. We've had opportunities where we've said no. They've come back to us and said, okay, how do you want to do it? So it can be very powerful to, you know, to to do that. And, And also you don't want to stretch yourself and do something that you're not, it's not your area of expertise uh, and stumble through it. So. I like the fact that you're confident enough in yourself to actually say no to somebody and then, like you said, they, they'll probably come back and be like, <laughs> oh, well, look, how do you want to do it? Yeah, and if they don't, you know, that, that's fine because you're, you're true to yourself, you've said no and, and that's, that's it. I love it. You are an absolute legend. Like I said, there should not be one member buying any office supplies of any company other than Muru and the website is uh, Muru, M-U-R-U, office com.au uh, you can order online anything you need cub does it tara at the front uh, and holly they're ordering off this thing all the time for all our um cub stuff but um if you order before five uh, like mitch said you'll get it the next day so everyone go order from muru thank you legend your legend is definitely the word to describe you um uh, did you have fun i did yeah look thank you very much for Bring me on. I've loved it. Awesome, Matt. All right. Hope you enjoy the show.